The puppy was seven weeks old, should not have been away from the mum yet. The owners were terrified. They didn't know what to do or what was wrong with the puppy. They had no further communication with the breeder. They didn't realise that she was too young to be away from the bitch and they thought it was all okay. So it is just, um, yeah, there definitely are some people ready to cash in for sure. Hello, my name is Abby Wharton and I'm more than just a vet nurse. Hello, you are listening to More Than Just a Vet, a podcast where we explore the lives of veterinary professionals. I want to know what's behind the surgical mass of the people who help our animals. My name is Francisco Gomez. Welcome to my show. Um, Abby, thank you for joining. Um, would you... Um, so, Abby, you, you work in, in the south of... Um, the UK for uh, out-of-hours providers. So you do nights and, and emergencies. Is that what you do? Yeah, nights, weekends, uh, bank holidays, yeah, and out-of-hours, basically, yeah. So uh, tell me a little bit more about you. So you um, do become a nurse running the family. Is that something new? Um, or why did you become a nurse in the first in the first place? Um, I'm not the cliche story. I never wanted to be a vet nurse. When I was a lot younger, I wanted to be a vet. And the idea of being a vet nurse was a failure. You're a failed vet if you're a nurse. When I was pre-15, 16, that was my outlook. And uh, so there was no way I was going to be a vet nurse. Um, I wanted to do clinical pathology when I was at, um, doing my A-levels and then completely changed my mind and decided to go and be a farmer. I um, left um, college and went into uh, an Aberdeen Angus breeding farm and worked there for a year and absolutely loved it. I loved all the the science behind it as well, like um, the breeding aspect of it and why we chose the bulls that we used and the cows that we kept. I found that really interesting. Um, but it was over an hour's drive every day and I just felt like this wasn't what I wanted to do long, long term. One of my friends, um, shout out to Nat, um, was a vet nurse and was studying and she absolutely loved it. And Nat and I are very similar in personality. And I thought, this is interesting. I, I quite like her all her social media, what she's broadcasting. And um, got in contact with her and she said that she genuinely loved it. She was a student nurse and really loved the, what she was doing. And um, I thought, okay, let's give this a go. So contacted all uh, our local practices and uh, yeah, eventually got a job as a receptionist slash kennel assistant in a first opinion practice and they put me through my training. Oh, I see. So when you say that this was a failure. Do you mean, do you want it to be a, a vet, actually a vet surgeon? Is that what you're saying? When I was a lot younger, you know, when, when you're asked at school, what do yes. you want to be when you grow up? I wanted to be a vet. But as I got older, yes. I never wanted to be a vet. No. And um, and then I didn't, I, de I desperately didn't want to be a vet nurse up until I was about 19, 20. Um, now I think if I have my time again, I think I would be a vet. I think I'd really like to be a vet and I'd tried harder and worked harder but okay. um it took yeah and I would have pushed for the university route and done that but I'm very very happy being a nurse yeah I don't feel like a failed vet yeah, as so, so. Um, my younger self thought 
Well, it, it shouldn't be because at the end of the day, the professions are very interconnected, but they are different things. Even though we have a similar objective, but there are different professions, different things that you actually Absolutely. do. Absolutely. Okay, so um, in your current out-of-hours role, um, is it something you've been doing for long or something you're still learning? No, so I, um, up until August, I worked for a first opinion clinic, and um, but locumed for the out-of-hours um, for the last 18 months. And then um, when the opportunity for uh, head nurse came up, I went for that and got that um, and started beginning of August this year. Okay, brilliant. So why was the, the thrill of, you know, working for hours? Because to me, that's, um, for me, that would be a nightmare. <laughs> no, um, I genuinely love it. Um, the 18 months of locuming there really convinced me that that's what I wanted to do. Um, I love fast paced. I love the um, the excitement of not knowing what's coming down, of only having maybe 10 minutes, if you're lucky, to prepare for the emergencies. Um, I love life-saving medicine as well. I think it's really exciting and um, it really gives me a purpose. Uh, I find um, day practice and doing routines and things like that. I I think I was struggling to see, especially through the pandemic, the, the purpose and sort of why are we doing these sort of things anymore? Whereas changing to the out of hours, everything is intentional. Everything is purposeful and I found a lot more validity in my work um made me much happier so you were getting bored yeah kind of yeah more like both bored and existential crisis you know when you're questioning why are we doing these blood tests and um why are we doing this full skin allergy workup and it was more I found a lot of first opinion you do a lot to please the owner rather than um, necessarily the animal and whereas um, ECC I find it's all about the animal because you are life-saving. I think that's very interesting of how how to look at the profession nowadays because that is true that we we treat the owners a lot because at the end of the day those are the ones who pay our bills um, but uh, you very often have to, to spend time thinking okay, I got to convince you that what you want is not really what your dog or your cat wants. Um, one other thing I, I, I asked you um, when, when um, I sent you an email about what is the bigger, bigger struggle in your eyes for the profession, and you, you talk about C-sections. You want to expand on that? For me, um, we never used to do C-sections that often. We never used to see them that often. And since the pandemic's hit, and I would say every practice across the country is feeling it, the number of puppies, whelping bitches has, I would say, more than doubled. Um, we used to get maybe a couple of C-sections a month, one or two. And in the last, well, definitely since I've started my job, we are doing one or two a week now and if it's not a c-section the number of phone calls I'm fielding in the middle of the night and it's upsetting that the calls that you get are people calling saying my bitch has started whelping what do I do and when you probe more you're like what do you mean what do you yeah. what do you do why have you not done your research and and people aren't they're seeing the price tags of what puppies can go for 
and they're breeding, but they're not going to their day practice. And having worked in day practice, I know that the facilities are out there, that the literature's out there, that day practices want to work with you and help you so that it doesn't, you don't end up in the out of hours and so that you're prepared for this. But the number of people that are not going to the day practice and not seeking any form of help. I've had 3am phone calls where I'm advising on um, what food to feed the puppies once she's whelped or how much the bitch should be um, eating at this time of like in her gestation length. It's um, all a, a sort of like routine stuff that if you're breeding, you should know. And um we have silly things like the bitch is considerably smaller than the dog and that's not been considered, that's not been thought about. And you're like, of, of course you're going to end up in a problem. Um, I'd say a vast number of our C-sections happen because the owners don't know what they're doing. They're stressed and they get involved and um, the dog ends up stressed and then stops pushing or gives up. And uh, the owners are getting really 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 worried come down at two in the morning and we end up in a c-section it's um i'd say if they end up at the vets you end up in a c-section because they're too stressed to continue pushing and um yeah it's getting a little disheartening i even had an owner the other day say uh, after a c-section say he wish he'd have known the problems and the outcomes of this because um, he said if he was completely honest he did it for the greed because he'd seen the pound signs of how much the puppies were going for and that's why he put his dog through it and his dog almost died so it, it's um yeah for for us I'm like why are you compromising the the bitch um for puppies and yeah and then the number of lockdown puppies we're seeing and people again getting puppies from breeders where the breeders have just gone I don't care about where the puppy goes I just want the money and they're getting we're having old people who don't exercise or go out are getting working cocker spaniel puppies and wondering why the puppy's got behavioral problems and issues yeah um I foster and I recently took in a um springer spaniel who the family were lovely they adored the dog but it was a single mum with three kids and she doesn't walk the dog. The only exercise he gets was to the um, communal garden at the front of their flat. And she wondered why he had severe behavioural issues. So it's it's things like that, that people just see the money and hand them over. It's, um, yeah, it's pretty sad yes. to see. Yeah, for, for, for what you're saying... Um, and that's something that I see as well, because I, I do have the odd client, either, well, not the odd client, a few clients that they know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and also some new clients that they, they ask me, you know. Yeah, um, absolutely. Started to breed. And I just want to know, you know, I think I'm just for a consultation just to, to ask you the questions and, and they asking the right questions. And, and one of the things I said to them, look, particularly in some breeds, I said, look, one of the things you need to be, worrying about is about the time of of birth mm -hmm. and whether it happens in here or where we close and you need to go to the other fireworks you really have to think about how much this is going to cost yeah these actions tend to to go well most of the time but they don't always go well and but one way or the other you're going to get people working for you and for your dog and they, they got to be paid for um so, but what you're saying as well is, is about information and 
you still think today, nowadays, that we are all 24-7 in our tablets, mobile phones, computers. There is so much information out there. Absolutely. And you have plenty of time to prepare. So are they looking in the wrong places? Yeah, and and I, or just not looking, I feel. Like, they're not doing the research. They feel like it's going to be easy and, like, what could go possibly go wrong. And actually, when it comes to the time of whelping, it is stressful. It is. Um, it can be quite graphic. It can be um, for the bitch. If she doesn't know what she's doing, she's going to panic a bit. The whole thing is stressful. And, and don't get me wrong, there are some wonderful breeders out there. I'm very close friends with a Labrador breeder reader and she's um really responsible she does her research but bends over backwards she has no problem with visiting the out of hours if she needs to but she also knows what to look for what to prepare for and um what could go wrong she prioritizes the bitch over the puppies which is wonderful and um you know that if there's a problem cost is no object she will foot the bill to make sure that her um, puppies and bitch are looked after wonderfully which is really really nice i do i do find that there are some clients that they they make a good relationship with the practice and even though their objective is still you know they enjoy breeding and they they they, they happy to cash uh, the money if it comes to that yeah um, but they have um, very good and high standards. They um, uh, they have a good relation with the practice, and not all that. They actually follow the puppies, make sure they vaccinated. Yes. They even uh, make sure they continue to be in contact with absolutely yeah. with the new clients when they when they get the puppies, to, which to to a degree gives them a good name, right? Yes. Um, and then you you see also the. The, the puppy who ends up in the consultation room and then they don't even have the microchip transfer over and I and I said look you, you need to ask them your breather um to, to give you the details so you can actually put the microchip in your name and says look yeah. since I handed the cash I have no communication they were like on top of me every single hour and now everything stopped yeah, absolutely. And um, same on vaccinations. You're seeing a, an increasing number of potentially forged vaccination cards that don't have any stickers. You can't find the recognition of the actual vets that have signed these cards. We had a, a seven week old puppy in this week and um, the owner showed us a vaccination card, but it did not look legitimate we were very concerned about parvovirus so the puppy was tested luckily negative which was good but again the puppy was seven weeks old should not have been away from the mum yet the owners were terrified they didn't know what to do or what was wrong with the puppy they had no further communication with the breeder they didn't realize that she was too young to be away from the bitch and they thought it was all okay so it is just, um, yeah, there definitely are some people ready to cash in, for sure. I guess you're familiar with Lucy's law, right? The, Absolutely, yeah. The, the law about, like you said, yes, the, they, they should be with the breeder until eight weeks old. Do you think the law is sufficient or do you think that maybe there is nobody to enforce it? I think the law is excellent and I'm glad that it's in place. Um, I'm really pleased that there is a step in the right direction. However, my biggest 
bugbear and I think the reason it's never going to be enforced is because um, you can have one litter a year and you are not a registered breeder anybody can have one litter a year and so tracking that enforcing that making sure that the pups are staying with the um, bitch until they're eight weeks old is nigh on impossible I feel like everybody who wants to breed even if it's one litter should have a license so that they are registered and monitored so that this can be put in place that you can follow Lucy's law and make sure that you know, the breeders are being responsible but again policing that getting the council to follow up on every single um, person that has one litter there aren't the means or the facilities to be able to do that yes I, I, I feel like sometimes they want to put um, the the onus on the on the vet practice or the vet or the vet nurse uh, because at the end of the day, we're here to help, but we're not the police. And you end up sometimes with a client that has a puppy. And the last thing they want is to get the breeder in trouble. To, but on top of that, um, they worry about their puppy. They want to say, well, I got my puppy. I already formed a bond. I don't want anything to happen now. Yeah. And um, they... They don't want uh, an issue. They don't want a legal suit. They're worried that the puppy will be taken away. And um, and uh, like I am a huge fan of um, getting in there before you get a puppy. I um, uh, I'm currently studying for an advanced diploma in canine behaviour, and I um, I'm really interested in the um, the the puppy start of life and how that the um the, even while they're in utero how that can affect their mental stability and set them up for the rest of their life um i'm I, a lot of my friends have all contacted me regarding getting a puppy and looking into what that they want and um people again as soon as you go to see the puppy i feel like that's it everyone sees the puppy and realistically who goes to see a puppy and goes nope that's not the one for me you just don't you go to see a puppy and you go well that's the cutest thing I've ever seen here's my money how fast can you take it and that's it and and I said and my friends sent me photos of the puppy they went to see and they're like how cute is this puppy and I was like oh newsflash every puppy's cute they're all wonderful and they're all cute um I was like, but this breed is completely unsuitable for you and for your life. We had long conversation about what exercise the dog would need and what um, mental stimulation. And they, they just hadn't thought about it. And they said, oh, well, this is like completely not what we're ready for. And we are actually going to postpone getting a dog because we don't think we're ready for this. And um, I don't think there's enough of that. I'm all about prevention rather than trying to correct a dog that's in an unsuitable home and I think there needs to be more intervention people thinking am I realistically set up and ready for this dog and the same as breeders and um, people going to have a one-off litter are they realistically set up and ready for a whelping bitch and um, puppies for eight weeks because that's a lot. During this break I want to thank the sponsors, colleagues and partners of more than just a vet podcast. You can see them listed under the tab Colleagues on their website. Remember, you can use a break like this to advertise your product or idea. It's what I call Podcast Your Product. Visit the website morethanjustavet.net for details. Uh, and you told me about an interesting case about a Labrador 
um I don't know if you remember yeah so um we had again um we work inside um another practice so um they are often there when we're there as well which is quite nice it gives us a nice friendly dynamic we get to work together um we had a case brought into us um of a Sunday night of a dog that had um she was 18 months old and uh she had collapsed and um the owner brought her in she was almost unconscious and uh it looked like she had severe severe mastitis a temperature of 35 degrees and uh this was the this was brought into the out of hours but the um day practice stayed and helped out and um like plugged in and it was really lovely like we all worked together to um revive the dog basically um it then she stayed in all night and was um oh conscious and aware but you could see that she had um horrendous developing mastitis and as an 18 month old labrador she had uh six five week old puppies at home um which again flags up all the welfare problems all wrong an 18 month old should not be being bred from and um they um the owner um said money is no object do everything you can to save her um I have uh, cows at home, so mastitis is kind of my thing. Um, so I was very aware of uh, what was going on with her, um, was trying to milk her to make sure that her, she was flowing and that the, the ducts were um, open. She was having hot and cold compresses as well to try and salvage her mammary lines. But um, by the next day, like in the morning, they'd all started to slough, all her mammary lines had started to slough and um, it was clearly they weren't going to be saved. Um, that morning, we probably called the owner about 20 times and couldn't make contact. Um, the, uh, um, the host practice then called him and he answered and he just said, I can't afford this. There is, uh, there's no way I'm gonna afford this. Um, luckily the host practice were really lovely and offered to have her signed over they said like she's a young fit healthy dog we want to help and um, got her signed over um, it was a real rough ride and eventually her mammary lines almost completely sloughed off to the point that there I have photos of them hanging physically hanging her and her open flesh it was all oh just really disgusting the smell was just horrendous um she was touch and go for a long time whether she was going to be septic or not and uh she was handed to us every night obviously for to be looked after and day practice every day back and forth so it was really nice that we got to see her whole journey alongside them as well so we were all a part of her recovery um, they put her through a number of surgeries to like um, debride and clean her up and had to leave the wounds open because they were so infected and so large. Um, but uh, she has, I can happily report that she's made a full recovery. She's doing really, really well. Um, but yeah, she's completely fixed. And yeah, she's doing wonderful. She's a really lovely, bright, happy dog now. But it was three to four weeks of her being in and multiple surgeries, care, fluids, antibiotics, everything. It, um, yeah, it, and it was, again, breeding. <laughs> it shows a lot of, well, first, uh, this gentleman probably was unaware how 
things go can go wrong i'm yeah. guessing um then probably after hearing how much things could be because this bill would have run into thousands of pounds thousands that, and thousands um, the Yes, that the practice actually has decided to, for the sake of the dog, the practice has decided to pay from their own pocket. Yeah, right? absolutely. Um, uh, and on top of having to put the work. So when you when you think about it, it's a very nice gesture, but unfortunately it can be done to every single dog. And, no. and in this case, um, again, you, I, I keep talking to, to people, to vets and nurses, that they all have... Uh, eight, nine animals. They don't know how to going to look after them because they all been signed over after uh, over the years. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, uh, which is something else. Sometimes we have to deal with. Uh, so yes, it, it, this highlights a lot of, uh, of of problems. You know that the breeding um, that having a dog is pretty much having a dog that can lead to and and um, well, I'm happy that at least it got. She got better, you know. She got better. She, <laughs> I think you, we're all very you got the dog. That. You got the dog at the end, and she's happy. Yeah. So that's yeah. And that's that's quite impressive uh, from your practice, of course. And next, um, Abby is going to talk to me about GDVs and the thrill of life-threatening surgeries. For people who don't know what a GDV is, a GDV is uh, when when the stomach. Um, uh, gets a bit large in a dog and and then um, uh, twists twists around one of the big vessels in the dog and then can lead to to death and these animals eventually end up in large surgeries and you said that GDV at three a.m. is your favorite. <laughs> so um, I get a real kick out of life threatening surgeries. So um, a GDV, an RTA, a closed pyo, absolutely love the closed pyo as well. Um, but yeah, they're yes. something like that. It makes the night go faster. It keeps you pumped and yes. moving the whole time and. Um, yeah, I think it, it it drives you as well. It drives you to make a difference because you're like, it is up to us to save this dog. Like, we have to work hard here to to keep this dog alive. And um, I like that motivation. I like that um, the adrenaline rush. I I think that's yeah, that's that's why I do ECC and out of hours for that. Um, but it's... it seems like you recover the thrill. <laughs> absolutely however i was talking with my colleagues the other week about how few gdvs we see nowadays and i honestly think it's owner awareness so this is the the opposite of the c-section um is the owner awareness aspect how and i but then the difference being is there's no financial gain from a gdv or what leads up to it overfeeding or exercise whereas the c-section there it is so people take that risk um, I think people are uh, owners are a lot more aware that feeding a dog and then taking them for exercise can lead to a hefty vet's bill. So, <laughs> for um, again thousands of pounds to to, to deal with the GDV. Um, when um, uh, for people who who are not in the vet professional, I clarify that RTA is a road traffic accident and a PIO is an infection of the womb, which is very serious when it's closed, meaning that it's not discharging. So the, the dog actually, the womb is actually getting bigger and bigger, full of pus. Like a ticking time um, bomb. So, 
Yes, it is exactly like that, like a ticking time bomb. Absolutely. I, I agree. Um, I got a theory about the reduction of GDVs. Yeah. And I'm probably I'm, I'm wrong. But my my theory is that bigger dogs, they um, always bring bigger bills in terms of how much you got to feed them and and, any, and everything else. You know, whenever you have to yeah, prescribe a cost antibiotic, it's a lot more expensive. Yeah. Yes. So people who own them thinking, what is the worst thing can happen when I go to the vets? They probably all know, oh, this. Yeah, absolutely. It's pretty much the worst thing that can happen. And and also GDV can happen in any animals. We know it usually happen in bigger ones. Absolutely, yes. I think people are more aware that this can happen and, um, yeah, and actively taking steps to avoid it. Absolutely. Yeah. Hi. We are halfway the episode and... I want to take this opportunity to let you know about all the ways you can use to interact with the show. First of all, you can find more than just a vet in more of the major social media outlets, including Facebook Meta, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube. But more than just a vet has its own website, where you can send comments, reviews or even ask about advertising opportunities. Visit morethanjustavet.net forward slash contact to find out more forward slash sponsors to see who helps me keep the show going or if you just want to support the show go directly to morethanjustavet.net forward slash donate the website has also his own episode players and show notes about the interviewees including bits that they're not always in the recording so there is a lot more and a lot to see in the website morethanjustavet.net okay let's go back I'm going to um, move things forward a little bit, and I, I want you to tell me a little bit about what you do outside outside the veterinary practice. Because you you said to me that um, you you have your farm. Um, I, I mean, what's the objective of the farm? Why is something enjoyable to you? Okay. I'm, I'm guessing there is a vegan is not going to be very happy about what we're going to talk about now. <laughs> but I'm guessing we. we you, you and I are, are vegans, but you know there are yeah. some in the veterinary profession, and I do respect them. Uh, but um, farming is is something that people enjoy. Yeah. Um. So I don't have a family farm. That's not something that I was lucky enough to be part of. Um. I studied at Hartbury for a while, and while I was there, they had a dairy that you could go and volunteer on, and um, I love to be outdoors I just love all animals I'm a cliche vet nurse love anything that moves and uh, I used to go help on the dairy and work with the young calves um, as a joke my dad asked what I wanted for Christmas and I jokingly said one of the calves and um, stupidly he bought me one we didn't have a farm we didn't have anywhere to keep her um, I paid horse livery and she came and lived in a stable. I hold to broke her so she'd tie up with the horses and I'd muck her out every day and give her a hay net. And um, yeah, so when I went to work on the Aberdeen Angus farm, she came with me. And um, at the end of my time working on the Aberdeen Angus farm, she was pregnant and they gave me my favourite show cow um, to take home with me. Um, I then found a small farm to rent and they've been there ever since. Um, 
I'm a terrible, terrible farmer. I definitely call myself a hobby farmer. Um, Nearly every calf I've ever bred, I keep. Um, I struggle to get rid of them. So um, I manage, I try to have a calf a year to sell. And over the last five, six years, that's definitely got a lot better. And I've been able to sell the calves every year just so I can afford to pay for my girls that I keep. Um, But it is definitely a hobby. They are, um, again, I joke, big big dog big bills well I have very big dogs and um so I am always <laughs> I, I have a very good relationship with my farm vets they're wonderful and um I'm always prepared for their giant bills um they are vaccinated they're spoilt rotten they um they're definitely treated more like dogs than cows that's for sure um they yeah they're, they're they're wonderful girls and if one especially one of them the, the original if she could live in the house she would she would try and get in the house yeah. <laughs> she's a real princess bless her um they all have names they're all halter broke I take them for walks they're very affectionate but um they're what get me up in the morning them and my dog and uh yeah they're what drove my other part of change of my career I am um, because I rent it all and I um, don't own a tractor or anything like that. In the winter, I muck them out by hand. So I have a bright pink wheelbarrow and pitchfork. And every single day I take five to six wheelbarrows of muck out of them by hand. I put hay in for them every single day as well. So, um, and I was finding that working day practice I would come home in the winter in the pitch black, the pouring rain, freezing cold and have to do the cows. And I didn't want to do the cows and it was making me miserable. And um, I was thinking about getting rid of the cows because I didn't have time around my job, which made me really sad because the reason I do my job is to pay for the cows. And, uh, And I thought something's got to change here. Something's got to let up. Like, why would I be as much as I love my job? I don't want to get rid of my hobby and my thing that makes me me um and changing to out of hours now means that I have days free now I do my cows still in the pouring rain and terrible wind but daylight so and uh that definitely makes me a lot happier um getting to see the girls every day is nice and um yeah it's a lot more free time with them which is lovely and you love the outdoors anyway I love the outdoors. Rain, misery doesn't really bother me at all. I am outside all day, every day. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so they have names and everything. That's that's fantastic. I need. I'm gonna need now a uh, good picture of you with your bright pink wheelbarrow. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I actually had one of um, my friends wrote a, a small article about it for her photography bio, and she's taken done a whole um, photo album of my cows and our little farm and stuff as well. So definitely got the photos for you. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's really, really, really cool. Brilliant. Okay, okay. So, and and then the other thing you do is... um. Canny Cross with your dog, Doug. Um, yeah, Doug is... Who, uh, I don't know what Canny Cross is. Uh, okay, so um, 
full disclosure, Doug is the best dog in the entire world. And any of my friends who know will 100% agree. Uh, <laughs> everyone thinks they have the best dog in the world, but I would say categorically proven it's yes. Doug. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, Doug is a Labrador cross Springer Spaniel um, and he's four and a half. We do, uh, mostly we do competitive agility. Um, so I train once or twice a week and compete at weekends and um but we've recently in the last year started doing canny cross so basically it's cross-country running where I'm in a harness Doug is in a harness and we run together cross-country um it means he pulls me a little bit which makes me go a bit faster and run a bit faster but um us both wearing harnesses means my arms are free so I can actually run a bit more and uh yeah it's good um exercise for him stimulation keeps him under control as well um and it's it's really a I and I find the people I run with will say the same it's it makes a really good bond with your dog as well like they have to be responsive yeah. to you you have to run together if you're not working together then it goes horribly wrong uh, <laughs> when I first yeah. started we tripped <laughs> a lot um but uh, yeah <laughs> we're a lot better now we do park runs together which is really nice so every Saturday morning yeah. we go out and do park run if we can yeah Brilliant. How 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 long are these uh, canny cross events? How how far do do you guys run um, cross country? Massively varies. There are, you can do. There are marathons that you can do. There are half marathons, ultra marathons that you can do. I am quite happy with five k. <laughs> we are we are not yeah. in that level. We five uh, k is enough. I get bored after that. There's something else to be doing. There's probably a cow to sort yeah. out. So um, at five k, that's my limit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I would say yes, Ralph. I wouldn't want to to to, to take dogs uh, a lot further. I'm guessing people do. Um, just getting to the point that. You know, marathons are a little bit, um, I would even say unhealthy. <laughs> I've done them. Uh, and and then it, it, it's pretty much just destroying your body doing them and thinking, well, it must be. I mean, dogs do a lot better so we hike a lot. Uh, physically we than hike we a do. Lot and I will hike yeah. miles and miles. This year we hiked the Ridgeway and did 40 miles in one day um, with Doug. He came, wow, wow. yeah, strapped me, but that's walking that's not running i definitely wouldn't run that yes. <laughs> and he probably when he finishes should we go again yeah yeah no doug was definitely ready to go again absolutely yeah <laughs> he woke up the next day like so where are we going 40 miles today then i couldn't walk yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes okay I'm, I'm going to move forward um, again, uh, unless there is something you want to talk to me about, uh, I'm going to move forward to a little bit a funnier part of the episode. I want you to tell me about a dog that has stolen, um, you, you said in, my, in the email that a dog has stolen uh, the contents of an uncooked casserole, potatoes, onions, garlic, the law. Yeah. What happened? So um, we had a client bring her dogs down. She was prepping for a casserole. Everything was out on the side, including two whole jacket potatoes. And um, it had all gone. Everything had gone, the whole lot. And it was all raw. None of it had been cooked. Um, so she brought him down and we were like, yes, he does need to be made sick. Um, which we were quite happy to do. Nice and straightforward. Lovely, young, happy Labrador. Um, 
made him sick and the potatoes came up. He hadn't even chewed them. They were just like, they, she'd, where she'd sliced them up, they were full slices of potato without bite marks or anything in. Realistically, she could have just reassembled it and put it back in a pot. Um, <laughs> um, there was, yeah, and uh, he kept going, bringing lots up. And then there was um, something in the vomit that looked different to everything else, looked like a piece of fabric or something. And um, gloves on, uh-huh. definitely gloves on, hands in, having a look. And uh, I found what was clearly um, women's underwear. Um, so that was a little, oh, no. a little bit unexpected. And to begin with, we were all laughing at that. And I thought that was great. And I went out to the owner and I had a conversation with the owner and, and said, look, we did find something unusual. And um, showed the owner, and she was lovely. She laughed about it, and then um, then said, "Yes, he does have a fetish for dirty underwear." And uh, I was again very, very glad I'd worn gloves. And, uh, <laughs> I was like, That's probably not the information I needed. I was just quite happy with normal underwear. <laughs> That's totally fine. <laughs> um, but it definitely made us all laugh a lot. It wasn't what we were expecting, and then her comment as well. Um, it definitely made our evening a lot, a lot funnier. <laughs> I I wondered how many dogs they they go around with lots of things in their stomach because I, I have experienced something similar before, like having a dog coming in and the client says, look, it's eaten this, I've seen it. Yeah. So I said, well, okay, this is the options and make the dog sick, bring things up. And then bring a toy up. That, oh, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, 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 that last month. <laughs> oh, <my God>. uh, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Just been sat in the stomach that long. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. I have once um, um, uh, a boxer losing, losing weight for weeks, months, only never took in to investigate it. Um, until it got to the point that we had to take an X-ray, and uh, we finished. We we finally um, have have to remove surgically uh, a, a dog. You know these these bath dogs that you put in the bath to to play with these plastic oh, ones. Oh yeah, you have yeah. One inside yeah. the stomach. Yeah, a rubber duck. Yeah, full, full. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, eaten whole, oh not God. broken or anything like that. You could have put it back into the, into the bath again if, if you if you wash wash it there properly. <laughs> okay. How would you fit a giraffe inside a fridge? <laughs> How would I fit a giraffe inside a fridge? Yeah, this is a good one. Um, they like bamboo, don't they? So I would probably try and find the biggest fridge I could get, stuff a ton of bamboo at the back, coax them in, and then really try and, like, fold down the neck as they went in, you know. go. I'm all about the positive um, behaviour. I'd make the giraffe want to go in the fridge, you know. Let's not force the giraffe because we're going to get legs everywhere. Um, you've got to be sensible. Pick the smallest size giraffe you can in the paddock. Go for the smaller one. If there's a baby, obviously go for that. And in the fridge lineup, I'm presuming there's a choice of fridges. I'm going for the biggest fridge I can as well. And uh, yeah, we're all about the coaxing. I want the giraffe to actively choose to enter the fridge. I feel they'll go in easier. They'll bend over and they'll sort of fit in if they want to be in that fridge. Whereas if I'm trying to stuff them in, it's not going to go well. Well, I think that's fantastic because I, I've been um, given several answers uh, and then none of them as details as, as yours. <laughs> uh, so I'm actually quite happy about what I just said. Yes. Uh, but 
for the record, the reason I'm I'm doing this is because um, this year I'm recording and then people don't know each other's answers. So everyone's going to see the answer at the end. <laughs> you see? So yeah. it's going to be fun that way. Um, but yeah, so far, I think I think so far the, um, the more detailed answer. I like that. <laughs> um, can you tell me as well, uh, one of the head nurses at uh, my practice, when I, I ask him, uh, the head nurse, I ask him, what, what should I ask people this year for the podcast? And says, why don't you ask them what they're having for tea? Oh, that's the best and question I, and, and I thought, ever. what? That's, yeah. And and everyone said that was a good question. Yeah. So what are you having for tea? Well, this is a really tough one. So um, I love to be organized. I know that if I'm on night shifts, I don't want to cook. So I like to make food that I can have every single like day, just warm up in the microwave. And I've been really good this week. However, this afternoon, I'm doing an unplanned shift. I'm only doing a few hours, but it falls over dinner time. And I'm supposed to be food shopping in that time. And I have not prepared. So tonight's dinner is still up in the air. And it's actually stressing me out. I um, It's either going to be pizza. You love a thrill. I love I love the thrill and the the... The excitement of what it's going to be is, you know, keeping on edge. But um, it's there's there's every chance it could be an unhealthy McDonald's. I did a park run this morning, so I'm feeling like justified. I can balance this out, um, <laughs> or um, just a bit of bland pasta and cheese is the other option. But <laughs> I, um, yeah, I'm gonna. <laughs> I need to go food shopping. So if I get chance, that's what I'll be doing. Yeah. And doing a hungry shop, walking around, adding everything to the trolley. Yeah, that's that's quite horrible. You know, when you're hungry, you go to the. You always spend more money. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. Um, Abby, that was fantastic. Thank you for taking part <laughs> in the show. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. That was fun. And this is it for today. Did you enjoy this episode? Did you have any comments or reviews about it? Don't forget to leave them in the website morethanjezebeth.net forward slash contact. And once you're there, please support the show by pressing the donate button. You can do it for as little as one pound. Um, you know, there is very little crime. Um, Hasta la próxima. You know, we, we relieve all our bikes in our open carports. I mean, there's absolutely yes. no way I would do that even in West Sussex, let alone London.